Welcome everyone to the Analytic Mind podcast by Enterprise DNA. This is a podcast which dives into a range of different ideas and tips to empowering a data-led culture within organizations. We want you to develop the analytic mind to create immense value for yourself and your teams. Okay, welcome everyone to the Analytic Mind podcast. I'm joined today by Andrew Swan, who works for a global law firm called White and Case and is the global head of business analysis. And so I think, you know, in terms of where Andrew sits within his organization and how involved he is around the analysis part of or the or the data and analytics part of the organization is going to be truly valuable to all those who tune into the podcast and who listen to this on our, on our YouTube channel. So yeah, really looking forward to diving into this, uh, Andrew. Um, why don't I throw to you? You maybe give a, a more broader background of sort of how you've got to where you're at and what you're doing sort of on a more regular basis right now. And then we can just take things from there. Yeah, sure thing. I think my story probably is going to sound familiar in the beginning to a lot of people. I found myself, it'll be 12 years ago next month, wow, at White & Case as kind of a lone analyst within the business development and marketing team, you know, producing a lot of Excel-based reports. And the reason I was doing that is because I had taken some Excel classes in college. I was familiar with the tool. And I had spent some time working at another law firm in a business development team, just kind of creating binders and things like that, but was able to convince the good people at White and Case to hire me with that experience. And they sat me down at a computer and said, kind of, here are the standard reports that we put out. Here's who's going to ask for them. And, and here's how you have to deliver. But over time and, and over those 12 years, I've kind of been involved in the transformation of the organization from that kind of siloed view that lone kind of army of one approach to reporting to what is now really an enterprise-wide business intelligence strategy with a centralized BI team that encompasses really three main parts, which is uh, my team, which is business analysis. So we're the primary liaisons to the business to help understand problems, to get a better sense of how things work, understand business processes and find opportunities to add value with data. And we work closely with those two other teams, our development team. So we have a, a dedicated BI development team that I work with. And then uh, the one that you know I secretly wish we'll talk the most about on the podcast today is our, our data governance team as well. So with mm -hmm. those three groups consolidated into a, a global team, we're tackling kind of a holistic transformation of the data and reporting experience at White and Case. So on any given day, I'm kind of training and mentoring team members on analysis techniques and some of the tools that we use. I'm having discussions with individual stakeholders about feedback on the reports and tools they have access to, and also working with other functional leaders from HR, from finance, pricing, et cetera, to help define their analytics strategy and prioritize you know, accordingly. So I, I think it's a pretty unique experience having been at one place so long and really excited to kind of share some of the insights I have from those lowly dark corner days to where we are now. Yeah, now sounds good. Sounds good. One thing that is interesting to note is that, you know, you wouldn't traditionally think analytics is a big part of a law firm, would you? But it's, it seems like, and it just, well, it just shows you how analytics is reaching, right? It's, it's, it's in every organization can utilize yeah. it. And were you quite surprised? 
of the analytics potential even within a law firm when you were when you started working there and as you've evolved your role throughout the years? Yeah, I think the way it started was I knew there were better ways of delivering data and tools and insights to the business, but I honestly didn't have any idea really what those would be for a law firm. But if you look at consumer mm -hmm. products companies, the way that they use data for targeted marketing, the way that they use it for their people strategy, for hiring and retaining talent, all of these things where you know other, other companies were much more advanced than, than even we are today, provided kind of this beacon of what good analytics capabilities could look like. And then it was really just a matter of applying those capabilities to our situation. But over the course of this transformation, we've just kind of seen this explosion of demand for analytics, both within the operational kind of business services functions as we refer to them, uh, so that's your traditional finance, marketing and HR, but also on the legal service delivery side, everything from making sure we're on track in terms of schedule and budget for work to an area that we're starting to dabble in a little bit more, which is transparency of our activity with our clients and tools for those clients are our biggest and most important relationships to understand where we're at and drive the conversation. And that's the big difference, I think. You know, we relied heavily on the legal service delivery side of things, which, you know, for better or worse, is really smart people being creative on a day-to-day -day basis with specific sort of legal challenges. And there's not a lot of obvious areas for analytics when you're talking about someone reading and analyzing kind of case law. But as we started to get more pressure from clients on pricing, especially and kind of scope of work and understanding how long things are going to take and, and helping them lower their risk with respect to that, that's where we started to see so much more opportunity for descriptive analytics, diagnostic analytics, and, and certainly as we build our capabilities in-house, looking more towards that prescriptive, that predictive analytics capability about what we should do to, to drive better outcomes there. So it has been mm -hmm. a sort of a, a complete transformation, as you say, and really exciting. Yeah, I love hearing the fact that even in non-traditional analytics you know, types of industry, there's still, there's still so much opportunity with, with data and, and how you implement your analytics strategies um, and analytics transformation. I, I just love hearing examples like that. So you've, you've been there a long time and obviously things have evolved in many different ways, you know, especially on the product side for analytics and um, capabilities side and also awareness as well. So how did you, you know, and you've obviously evolved into sort of more a leadership role there. How did you kickstart the transformation in a more leadership capacity? Well, it, it really grew organically. And I think it'll sound familiar to a lot of people that are listening where at the water cooler, the people involved in data and reporting get together and start kind of complaining about the challenges and the blockers they've got with getting basic information to their stakeholders. So that was always kind of an undercurrent there, one that happens less now that we haven't been in the office for a while, but kind of that commiseration between these silos, understanding different issues, and then just trying to, to find those tiny opportunities. But the biggest kind of catalyst for us was really getting the firm uh, to define a really strong global strategy to say this is what we wanted to be able to do. 
And it was across market segments. It was across types of work. It was across industries, all sorts of things. And all of a sudden, there was this need to develop data products that helped kind of drive strategy formation. And then when that happened, kind of measure success against that strategy as well. And when we went to look at the data assets we had available, we found them kind of really lacking in terms of being able to deliver on metrics across a very, a very broad strategy. But it's really about advocating within that context, right? And as the, the, the volume of voices of these siloed groups grew, we made kind of incremental progress. We started with what came to be an extended therapy session for us, but we called it our cross-functional integration group. Anytime data left one system and went to another, the people responsible for those systems were sitting in a room and talking through any of the issues and trying to build out a sense of the right way to do those integrations, not yet for reporting, but just for getting data from one system to another. And from there, you find more blockers, you find more pain points, and you find more opportunities for improvement. So it almost reached this fever pitch for a lot of us. I, I by no means take kind of responsibility or credit for the big pushover. But one of the things that I was able to do early on was to find a, a data visualization tool that I liked. I made a relationship with one of their salespeople, went to some conferences, and it was really a tool that was kind of marketing and business development focused that spoke to a lot of the use cases we had. And because I was this silo, I often kind of ran under the radar. So I was able to get a proof of concept going and get some data visualized. And that really helped me kind of drive, you know, the the initiative forward a little bit more because the second I got that and people started talking about it, the rest of kind of my colleagues raised their hand and said, this, this kind of stuff is important. They talked about apps that they were building with data that improved data quality, but locally, but really saw an opportunity to, to improve on that. So it started with a steering group and investigation. How do we understand where we're at and what good looks like and kind of what the gap is? And I was the main liaison for business development and marketing on that group, along with the other functional areas. Over time, it became clear that kind of finance managers, HR managers, et cetera, were taking on reporting responsibilities, but they had a, an entirely different day job to just putting together reports. So I was really the only member of the group whose day job was to build reports all the time. Many people just spent a lot of time aggregating data, building PowerPoint presentations because it was part of what they needed to do. Now, incidentally, all of that stuff they used to do are our first targets for transforming into more automated solutions. But the mm -hmm. fact that I had that day job that allowed me to focus on it meant, you know, I developed really strong opinions and advocated for those in the, in the forums that were available to me. And, you know, as luck would have it, we had receptive leadership. It, it didn't happen overnight, but kind of a concerted effort of research and presenting analysis and trying to build that vision of what good looks like helped me kind of rise to the station I'm at right now. So when the firm gave us the okay to build the Global Business Intelligence Group, a long time kind of financial strategy leader was put in charge of the global group and he started building out those three teams. And, and I was kind of the closest one uh, in terms of the skills and experience and understanding of the business uh, that made sense to, uh, to lead the business analysis function. And it's actually the only one we did internally. We recruited for a head of development and we recruited for a, a head of uh, data governance as well. So 
I like to say it was just kind of the deep understanding of the business and, and something of a, uh, an unrelenting uh, drive to improve my day to day where I was staring at, you know, VLOOKUPs refreshing for most of my day. But yeah, really kind of starting small, finding those incremental opportunities and then talking as loudly as possible to everyone that would listen about how we could get better. Yeah, really interesting. So I think what would be good to flow into next is, is trying to set, like, set up our minds like in terms of where you're at now and how quickly you were able to get that transformation. So from maybe a few years ago where these tools weren't as prevalent to now, have you had some really big wins? Is the uh, business far more data-driven, like quantifiably far more data-driven now than it ever has been? What are some other big things that you've seen that have changed for the positive? Yeah, I think really we have a much better understanding of our business. With the silos and all of us kind of working separately, we would have conversations with the lawyers in our group or the, the heads of business functions and gain some insight, but that was really just ours. There wasn't a forum to share that. And really the culture of having those conversations, what are your business problems? Tell us what you struggle with was, was, was really lacking. We spent a lot of time living in a world where I would get a request from a lawyer that was fully fleshed out. I need a three page Excel report. Page one should be this list with this data in it. Page two should be X, Y, Z. But we never had an opportunity to say, why do you need all of that? Why have you come with this big request for all of this data. And that's really the big transformation that we've started to drive. Don't try and figure out what data you need and how it should be organized. Let's focus on the business problem and leave it to our collection of business analysts and developers to come up with the right data and the right tools to to answer those questions. And in that process of getting to know the questions better, we just understand a lot more about how our business works and have a much more holistic view of kind of the landscape of opportunities. And then the obvious one is really kind of the the transformation in the amount of time we spend to produce really important information to the firm. We have prioritized in the early days of our central BI team, kind of transforming the, what we'll call the legacy known value reporting, PDFs, Excels, in some cases, Word documents, that went out to leaders of the firm that they relied on. And we said, okay, this is stuff we know has value for the firm. We collectively, if we put our heads together, can develop a, a broader view of what's important there. And we can start transforming those, those text heavy, those tabular reports into data visualizations that start driving insights about that and cut down the time to value for someone who's viewing that information so that they can start making better decisions. But, you know, those are, those are big ones, but we've seen, you know, the, the big transition from that Excel, that PDF world to Power BI. We've got tremendous engagement from our workforce in a variety of areas across legal services and our, our business services, people logging on, understanding its value, not as just as a data exploration or analysis tool, but also a storytelling tool. So we're having people run meetings around the data and reporting tools that we're making available rather than printing out binders or making sure everyone has the latest version of the Excel report there. But the biggest win that we've had recently, we're we're building, we had a strategy through 2020 and we're finalizing our 2025 strategy. And while we used a lot of data to build our 2020 strategy, for the first time for 2025, we're going 
what are we trying to accomplish and really drilling down into kind of a driver analysis. What are the key performance metrics? Because there's a broad understanding of the role that analytics can play in making sure that we're meeting our goals and not just making sure that we're meeting our goals, but evaluating whether we have the right goals and whether our tactics and things are, are working towards that. So kind of the, the maturity of analytics as a tool within the firm and, and where it sits and how it can help and those areas where it can help the most are, are really kind of things that have been illuminated by the work we've done since the beginning of our team, which was just, you know, about a year and a half ago now. Amazing. So in a year and a half, that's, that, that, that's all it's taken. And I presume Power, just the, the tool set and the features within Power BI have made a big difference to yeah. getting everyone together, being able to share and distribute the insights as efficiently as possible, et cetera. Yeah, the Power BI service has been a real game changer for us. I wouldn't say we had any sort of content distribution strategy when it came to reporting and analytics that all sat in an individual function and again was reactive. But now we can set up apps, we can set up workspaces to solve for issues that stakeholders are bringing us from around the firm. We can have persona-based apps for leaders that consolidate just the key points in kind of a dashboard format while then having kind of domain-specific, broad exploratory tools for the teams that we know support those leaders and get asked questions. So we're really kind of using that, that ecosystem to drive the availability, the reliability, and kind of the democratization of that data. And you know, to, uh, to my boss's credit, he's really pushing the limits of what we thought was appropriate, right? With things like row level security and security groups in Power BI, we can make a lot of data available to a lot of different people for specific use cases, but we're also seeing the value in making that broad data available to broad groups of people. So one of the things we have is any partner of the firm, which are senior lawyers at our law firm, can access a relationship report on any single client that we've worked for in the last couple of years with a deep understanding, not just of volume of work, but of profitability as well and, and what's driving success there. We also make kind of personal metrics around partner performance available to every other partner. So we can look at cohorts and people can see who else is doing similar work to them and start building connections uh, around there. And so none of that was possible in a world where we're distributing things by email, where we have to build these enormous Excel reports that crash on everybody's desktop to answer all the questions we get within a domain. So it's, it's really been a great platform for us and hiring in some real technically minded developers has allowed us to, to jumpstart that process beyond kind of the skills we had with Power Pivot and, and Pivot Tables and Excel around data modeling and, and report building. I just really enjoy hearing those examples because that is exactly the transformation that Power BI, like using Power BI effectively can, can achieve. And I know a lot, a lot of times you hear, you know, it's not just about the tool, it's about everything else, but Power BI can enable so much if you use it effectively. And this is something I've you know, identified a long time ago, but Power BI have continued to improve things immensely across like all areas of the Power BI ecosystem. And one of the things that I, I, I want to just highlight again that you mentioned is, is how you framed the Power BI online service. And I think that sometimes it is not seen in as big a light as it should be. I think a lot of, a lot of users just think, oh, you throw your, 
Power BI reports up into up into the online service, and then you know you can just view it online. But the reality is, it's an incredible distribution mechanism for your insights. It's a and, and, that, and that's the way to think about it. It can actually change the way that your organization becomes immersed in data, which is relevant to them. Yeah, absolutely. That's been a huge boost for us from a world where you know a, a leader would get. 30, 40 emails with different reports every week and have to kind of comb through all of that. They weren't necessarily specific to the questions they had that day, but with that service, we're, we're really looking at curating content and, and that platform gives us so much flexibility to do that. And as I mentioned, row level security, specific security groups means there's not a lot of duplication of effort in terms of different versions of reports. So we can really enable that hierarchy of, of kind of analytics visibility all the way from the top level summary down to that granular data exploration piece. And it looks way slicker than any web app we ever designed before or any Excel report that we could put together. And the ease with which we can access more advanced capabilities with the Power BI platform when we're ready is, is a big boost for us as well. So kind of the natural language questions is, is so on my radar and, and we're just waiting for the right use case there and the right group of stakeholders. But we also have advanced analytics capabilities that we're building. So bringing in R and Python into, into Power BI through the service and doing modeling and, and displaying outputs from that work just couldn't be simpler from our perspective based on where we are in, in our analytics maturity because it feels miles away from where our capabilities were just a couple of years ago. Yeah, I just, I, 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 I think those are all, all, all really great points. And one of the things that like I have learned and seen quite a lot from my discussions on this podcast is that a lot of us who are you know, developers in Power BI, who know how to actually work with Power BI, I think we can get too caught up in actually developing in Power BI desktop and trying to create uh, really fancy formulas, etc. But a massive part of the success of Power BI within an organization is how you use the online service and really just your distribution of analysis. Because that is what I feel, and would be interesting to get your take on this, is that's how it that's how you create a sort of flywheel effect within your organization. If you can get the insights, even if they're you know just as good as they were before, like as, as a first iteration. If you can get the insights distributed and, and easily accessible by the online service or, you know, or, 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 or utilizing maybe like alerts or maybe using Power BI and Microsoft Teams now, just that immersion and data can just create this flywheel effect. And I think I'm sure you've seen is just you get this constant feedback about, oh, wow, I see this. Okay, I want to see this. And then that's how you just get this more and more buy-in from, from stakeholders as you go. Yeah, I think that that flywheel effect is a really interesting way to put it because it, it does build so quickly. And, you know, we have groups that are, are all over the place in terms of where they're at with their analytics strategies. And so for, for a lot of people, it's been kind of a two-step process for us. We put out these big, chunky exploratory reports that are miles better than the big, chunky Excel files and PDFs we used to put out, they're clickable, you know, they're, they're, they're bright, they've got good visualizations. And what we found is that has almost accelerated the maturity of some groups to then say, okay, you gave us all of this and we understand who has access to it. We understand who's using it. We can get in touch with them to ask questions about it. 
But now we understand for these specific personas, it's these five metrics, not these 10 or not these three tabs and the flexibility with which we can create that experience in, in Power BI uh, is really a big boost for us. We hear all the time, our reports and tools have to be where our lawyers work. The reality of that is that most lawyers work in Word and in Outlook. So we'll, we'll get to kind of embedded analytics, I'm sure, down the line. But what it meant for us was they at least need one place to go where they can access that data. So we talk just as much about kind of user experience and their journey through this data as they look to answer the day-to-day questions they have and the more strategic questions and how do we organize our content to make that feel right to them, to flow between reports where necessary so that they can go off and explore a thread if they feel the need to, but also at the end of the day can just come back to that summary that we have come to understand is is the five metrics that they care about on a day-to-day basis. So yeah, the, mm-hmm. the flexibility of, of that platform uh, and, and frankly, we haven't even used most of it, right? I mentioned we're using workspaces, but when we start talking about federating analytics capabilities back out to the functions over time, being able to give people sandboxes to live in that are still within our secure environment, that are still working off of uh, authoritative data sets, it's just a different world from someone who could you know, write an email to our service desk and say, I'd like access to our financial cube and get 30 different tables in Excel without a semantic layer on it and just start pulling data and seeing what they find. So yeah, it's, mm. it's been a huge advantage to have that platform available for us. And, and one of the main reasons why we ended up choosing Power BI as an enterprise tool. Yeah, it, it, it is one of the, um, no doubt in my mind, it is, it is one of the crucial pieces of the puzzle to, for the success of Power BI within any organization is utilizing that effectively. And one of the things that I've really enjoyed seeing is, is how this power platform is evolving around Power BI. And there's actually a number of different ways now that you can distribute insights that might be suitable for different stakeholders. Like you mentioned that a lot of your senior lawyers at the firm have maybe been there for a very long period of time, are sort of stuck in their ways and they want to see it in say PowerPoint or they want to see a PDF or they want to see it in Outlook. There is actually ways now that you can get data to stakeholders in the in that way. And then in a lot of cases, automate it. I was looking at an example the other day where you can automate the within Power Automate now. You can, you can create a flow which automatically sends PDF documents of your Power BI reports. So there's, there's, there's many different ways that now that you can distribute on top of the online service to suit nearly everyone, which is pretty phenomenal. Are you using those? Are you using any of those capabilities yet? You know what? My, my team is going to like really give me a hard time when I answer this question because it's, it's such a sore spot for us because we thought in the beginning, Power BI is the tool, right? And everyone's going to go to Power BI and that's what we're going to drive. And we said no to people a lot and we felt very smug about it and, and didn't take on initiatives that didn't kind of fit nicely within kind of the dashboard or kind of the basic report paradigm of Power BI. But we have come to fully understand based on really loud, but, but really helpful feedback that we need to take an approach that utilizes a portfolio of tools and distribution channels to get people the data when they need it and in the way that they want it. We have had a couple of high profile things that we wanted to turn off and the business came back and said no, but 
with that feedback, we were able to dig deeper into the challenges of turning legacy tools off and improve the ways that we were distributing that data. So, you know, I, I hate to, it seems like a kind of a, a bad word to say, but we're in the process of building SSRS reports as well. So the paginated capabilities of Power BI are there when, you know, 18 months ago, I would have sworn we were never going to build kind of a, a report that easily prints multiple pages anymore. But as we get a better understanding of the business, we are seeing that there's a reason that all these capabilities are there. We're getting much more comfortable utilizing all of those tools to deliver. It does take tremendous amounts of coordination with our technology team, which deserves probably the next 30 minutes for a shout out of, of how well kind of they've transformed with our business intelligence team, even if it's just on kind of approval to use these tools and setting up environments that are safe for us to play in, to do proofs of concept and understand it. And then obviously our technical team, again, being excited about using those tools. So whether it's just Power, uh, Power Automate to solve for some data capture challenges we have, Power, Power Apps, building on those data capture issues, you know, that's that's the primary focus for us at the moment. But when we talk about bursting reports and getting people the data in the distribution channels they still want, it, it has taken a more portfolio approach to, to solving problems, whereas we we're probably a bit too stubborn in the beginning. Nice. And what, what, what is your general view on, on, on the power platform as, 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 it, as it is right now? I mean, it's, it's, it's changed so much in the last like 12 to 24 months. It's, it's really incredible. Um, yeah. what, what, what is possible now? I, I think it's, it's really great, but it's the, the kind of no code, low code development side of it. We haven't seen that it's that easy. As I said, it still takes a lot of coordination with our technology team. Even on the licensing side, the, the licensing is not as consolidated as we'd like when we want to spin up power apps, when we already have mm. kind of the power BI uh, service license framework for our firm set up. So we're, we're cautious about kind of going full into that. And I would say that we do need to kind of be realistic about what no-code or low-code solutions are out there and how easy they are to implement, at least in an enterprise deployment. I imagine, you know, where you're a smaller organization, you've got more agility, a smaller team to work through. There's a lot more you can do in that area. But in terms of making sure that those tools are reliable and work within our ecosystem, there's a bit more for us to do. But the outputs, once we do that, are, are by and large game-changing uh, for us. So we recognize the value of the platform. We haven't been able to move forward as quickly on some of our initiatives as we thought we would based on, not to sound too negative, but kind of the hype around what the, the platform brings. But mm. yeah, it, no doubt that, that that is solving for everything from ETL and data capture and data engineering through to report distribution for us once we, we get all the basics figured out. Yeah, no worries. I'm, uh, I certainly second your thoughts on on the hype cycle and Microsoft. Not not to point the finger just at them, but are are, are very good at uh, promote you know, marketing marketing and creating a lot of hype around things that uh, aren't production ready just yet. But yeah. uh, you know, from a, from a personal point of view, I really amazed every month now through examples that I'm seeing some of the testing that I've been doing some of you know, just the capabilities i mean it's it's honestly like you, know, you become you become like an artist you're, you're trying to figure out how to bring all of these things together yeah. because really anything is possible like like you can do so much more than you could ever have done three years ago in terms of 
insight generation, data capture, automation, and then just think about combining all of those. I mean, you can create you know, so much more analysis than you even dreamed of years ago because of all of these new tools that that, that are now made available and, and can automate so much of what, what you're doing. So yeah. you know, it's, it, is, it is really exciting. But yeah, there's, there's, there's certainly a, a, a maturity, still some maturity probably left in, in the product from more enterprise wide scale um, de- deployments. Yeah. Moving off that, moving off that, because you're 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 really in the center of a firm-wide program around analytics, it'd be interesting to get some more of your insights about some of the things you've, some of the challenges you've faced, but also some of the ways that you've been able to get quick wins or ways that you've been able to get your analytic strategy implemented the most effectively. Yeah, I, you know, it's it's been a real diverse kind of uh, experience so far. As I've mentioned a couple of times, the, the different areas of business are at very different levels in terms of their analytics maturity. You know, some people have their KPIs really well defined. They have strong connections with their stakeholders and they're ready to build dashboards that are highly targeted and highly relevant. Other teams are spending, you know, 30, 40% of their week building kind of standard reports. So they're looking for automation help there before we we move further. So it has been, you know, all across the spectrum uh, of issues, but there, there are a couple of things that I would say have really helped us to deliver consistently on that. And I think kind of doing it right from our perspective means doing good data governance. So this has been one of the biggest challenges, but also one of the biggest payoffs for us bringing all of the kind of system owners, the the kind of technical and operational data stewards, calling them that, letting them know that they, you know, in this framework were the owners of this data and needed to take that ownership and start building out standards, processes for access and communicating and collaborating around, you know, the firm with with their colleagues in, in data ownership to drive better outcomes. And what that's allowed us to do is really accelerate the building of functional data stores. So for the very first time, your authoritative source for data is not a multi-tab Excel file that everyone with access to a shared drive can go in and change at any time. We're defining authoritative sources built as either Power BI data sets, in some cases, SSAS cubes, but at the very least building out tables in our enterprise warehouse that then make it a lot easier to deliver on reporting and uh, an analytic solution. So we see a lot stemming from that data governance piece there. So, you know, that's that's something that it, it hasn't surprised us in, in how exciting it is to implement. Uh, I don't think we had any illusions that it was going to be you know, the most creative or, or engaging uh, piece of building this new team, but it's been absolutely, you know, vital in ensuring that there's trust in what we're putting out there. You know, and I spoke about kind of functions that are at different stages of their analytics journey. We're lucky to have a team that's large enough to be able to kind of flex our operating model. As I said, some people are looking for defining KPIs and a strategy. Some people are looking for report automation. Others are looking for help transforming the culture of their individual groups to use data more. So we're doing everything from this kind of development to consulting to training and engagement piece, depending on what those, those stakeholders 
need. Whereas I think some of the other teams that I talked to outside of White and Case, based on either resource constraints or, or kind of strategic constraints, have a little bit more narrow of a remit in terms of what they deliver. But we're really trying to establish that kind of internal consulting team that can help groups get to good kind of regardless of where they're at. But certainly the fact that there's going to be a diversity of experiences and, and a diversity of kind of, of maturity was a really important piece for us to, to better understand. And given you know, the quantity of stuff that comes out of that understanding, the prioritization has been such an important piece for us. We have no shortage of work. For people that look on my LinkedIn profile, you'll see we're, you know, we're hiring three people uh, by the end of the year to add just to our business analysis team. You know, so the demand is there for sure. And we need to understand what's going to have the most impact for the business as well. And this is another area that has helped us get really close to stakeholders and understand their business better. But the key one that, that my team has really loved is for the first time, they get to say no to things. So we struggled a lot back in our Excel days where there was access to a lot of data for specific kind of siloed users to get a question, regardless of where it was from the business, regardless of the complexity, regardless of whether we understood the intended outcome and just get it done, kind of that hero complex, make sure that the report's right and that it gets everything that this person has asked for, even if it meant kind of weeks of work and, and a lot of headaches and kind of a, an output that we weren't necessarily proud of. But now with some guiding principles about what we're trying to achieve in terms of transforming the data and reporting experience, we have guidelines that we can point to and say, listen, that's not fitting within our prioritization. That is not in line with the way that we're going to be delivering data and analytics. And it's often something of a contentious conversation in the beginning, but we've been pretty successful in, in communicating that to those kinds of stakeholders. And it often leads to a better conversation in a couple of weeks about what they actually need and, and how they can use the tools that we have available. So I think, you know, really that that's the foundational stuff, right? The data governance being flexible to help teams that are at different stages and then being really ruthless on prioritization based on the vision of what you want to deliver from a data and reporting perspective. That's great. What 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 deployment model have you selected within your within your organization? So are you a more centralized development shop or are you allowing a more distributed version of or distributed development opportunity throughout the, throughout, throughout like your different teams, et cetera? Yeah, I, I think that speaks to kind of the the other insight that I would highlight, right? At least at the enterprise level, we found that we can't skip steps on kind of the maturity curve. So when we were doing our initial research, you know, five, six years ago, all the articles then were like centralized BI is dead. The COE is no longer relevant, et cetera, et cetera. And we're going like, oh my goodness, we missed the boat. We never had that. How are we going to get to advanced analytics capabilities without that centralized view. So a lot of discussion and, and kind of a, a clear understanding of where we wanted to go led us to believe that we had to start in what seemed like, I don't wanna say antiquated, but certainly outdated approach from like a consumer products company perspective, right? It's not about centralizing, it's about democratizing and making sure 
people have that data to drive insights, you know, where they are and, and with what they're doing without a lot of input from IT or a lot of back and forth. But the workforce we have, the culture we have just doesn't sustain that. So we took the strategy that we're going to build a central BI team and we're going to build a central BI development team. That was to solve for a lot of the siloed people pain points that we identified. It was to make sure that any insights we were getting from the business were spread across the team and could inform our next steps and help us deliver on that vision of transformation. So right now we have that central development team. And the second we kind of sat back and were very proud of ourselves, we started getting people from different functions going, hey, I have some experience with this. I can develop Power BI reports and I've got this operational report that my team really needs. And we're going operational report for small team. That's nowhere in our prioritization of kind of cross-functional leadership focused ports. But of course, who are we to say, no, don't use Power BI. So a lot of our discussion is about how we do take that next step, which is then federating out the ability to deploy reports. Right now, we're kind of putting walls around workspaces on a function by function basis. So where they have more technical abilities, we're giving them a sandbox to work in, but we're still following kind of our, our deployment frameworks and processes that we've worked really hard on a central level to define with our IT team. So that's one of the big challenges in federating it back out. We're still building a lot of those deployment processes centrally, and it's difficult for someone that's not in kind of our stand-up meetings or our scrum meetings or our catch-up meetings with technology to stay on top of that and feel like, you know, they're comfortable deploying items in the Power BI service to kind of select a group of stakeholders. So we're still doing a lot of hand-holding there, but, but very much on our radar for how we make that uh, easier. One of the biggest mistakes I made early on, there's a great kind of white paper that Microsoft put out about enterprise Power BI deployments, and it does give yeah, you a really complete picture of a federated you know, business intelligence capability with ad hoc teams and functions doing prototyping and development, and then promoting that into kind of centralized data resources and things like that. And I sent that around as kind of a, a way to, to build an understanding of the long-term vision, but of course people go, okay, we want that right now. So while we're focusing on central BI, get our processes, our standards, our data governance in place, we do recognize that that's not how it's going to be forever. And we're going to need to be enabling much more kind of organic development from within our functions because uh, I have a sneaking suspicion that that's where the best stuff is going to come from eventually. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think there has to, you know, and this is my, my thinking definitely evolved over time as well. I think initially it was, you know, I, I, I coming from more of a business background, I, I really bought into the hype of the Microsoft type as we've, as we've discussed <laughs> earlier, you know, around that everyone can do this right. But I think, I think that that is in some ways true. Like, yes, you can democratize the ability to create really interesting reports and analysis and storytelling, et cetera. But you still need the center of excellence. You still need the central place where strategy is created, standards are created, governance is created, and is overseen over time. So I, I just don't think you can get away from that. It's 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 almost essential. And and then you can almost like over time evolve to a more hybrid approach, which is kind of like what you're what you've highlighted or what you've talked about as well. 
is that yeah you've got to you've got to get your just like anything it's just got to get your foundation set up really well and then you can then evolve into that more hybrid type structure yeah and and, and that was something that was on our radar early on i think we came to the conclusion that for the foreseeable future even beyond kind of the federated world governance and architecture kind of big picture data architecture and development needs to be centralized we need to have a team that's focused on that but connected to the business for requirements but really taking kind of a specialized approach to that and, and building a strategy to some extent data modeling as well sits within that given the skills that we have in our firm so implementing data architecture and those structures managing kind of data life cycle there as well but when it comes to kind of experience design analysis kind of the understanding of business the identification of business problems and questions and then content development you know that's the stuff where we we hope that power bi desktop becomes the next excel and is on all of our kind of stakeholders desktops and they're able to pull up authoritative data sets and build out analysis themselves and publish it in a safe space and make sure the right people get it at the right time but as you said the the foundations there of governance uh, of strategy and and a process need to be built first uh, at least certainly in in our experience and and that's why i talk about right the center of excellence might be dead but you have to have one before you can kill it right and that's what's going to kind of facilitate you know long-term innovation around data and analysis for us nice what do you think the future is of some of the more traditional tools like Excel and PowerPoint. Are you still like are you are you already seeing Power BI take over these internally or do you still think there's going to be forever use cases for these? We definitely still have use cases for Excel until we have kind of all of our functional data mastered and in authoritative sources, we still need kind of the ad hoc querying, the ad hoc modeling capability that you know, Power BI just expects a little bit more from you when you try and do it in that tool. And the reality is we built our analyst team from function team members that had been using Excel and doing reports in Excel for a long time. So there's always a time to value question for us as well. You could put it in Power BI, but is it a simple you know, connect to our SQL Server analysis cube through Excel and give three numbers in an email? So there's still kind of that ad hoc piece to it that we're using a lot. And it's also, a it's been a great training tool for us because Power Pivot is just, you know, or Power BI is just kind of Power Pivot and Power Query in much, much fancier clothing. So it seems more digestible, I think, for more junior members of the team coming from basic Excel reporting to then using Excel-based tools for modeling and creating relationships and learning more about that. And it's the natural springboard then when we ask them to start using Power BI for that. So we we still produce a lot of information in Excel. We still do a lot of ad uh, analysis in Excel. PowerPoint, man, I'm on, a, I'm on a mission to get rid of it. And one of the key things that we talk about is building Power BI reports that help tell a story, right? And that's not always going to be kind of the dashboard that updates every day. As you have kind of these monthly check-ins or quarterly check-ins, we can group that data. We can aggregate that data together. We can put, you know, new filters and slicers on it that allow you to work through something of a script, right? Talk about your, your high-level analysis, drill down, highlight specific areas. 
where every click on a Power BI report is a click to another PowerPoint slide. So we've really been trying to, to talk about and engage with our stakeholders around the store, excuse me, the storytelling capabilities of Power BI and how it, it unlocks way more value, way more agility and capability than kind of a standard PowerPoint presentation. That being said, we still have reports that have to go out in PowerPoint. And we're trying to limit the manual effort there by building Power BI reports that look just like PowerPoint slides, one visualization per page, because then it's very simple to export to PowerPoint and get kind of a ready-made presentation. As you mentioned, a lot of these different channels for distributing content. So they're certainly not going away anytime soon. And as someone who worked in Excel for a long time, I love it and, and don't feel nearly as strongly about getting rid of it as I, I do around PowerPoint. So that's really the one that we're, we're focused on from a, an end user perspective. I'm, I'm so happy to hear you say that because you know that, that is one of the big things about Power BI that's always been the case from day one when it was re-released in its current form was that the fact that you could summarize you know, a, a PowerPoint presentation, they might have 10 pages. You could literally get it down to one or two pages of Power BI and be able to see all of the insights, probably like a lot more just from in a much more concise and compelling way, right? And yeah. you could be able to drill into any aspect of your data within the same report page, the same sort of visualization setup. I mean, it's just, it was so superior so long ago. And even, even now it's still not yeah, it's still not as clear in everyone's mind as I think it sh it should be right and, it, and you know it's upon it's upon people like us to sort of spread the message like there is a better way now to do this yeah and and it gives us a lot more creativity I think as well in terms of the the hypotheses we can put together when someone does ask us a business question we can get mm -hmm. to an answer but we can also use our you know business and data analysis skills to say here's where I think this stakeholder might take it after the fact and build that functionality into the Power BI report. So when that question comes up, that wasn't part of kind of the original remit, we can go two clicks and have the answer there. Whereas before with the limitations of Excel, whether it's file size or data set size, you just had to write that question down and say, okay, I'll get back to you either in a day or a week or however long it might take. So we can be much more thorough in the ways that we try and answer questions with that dynamic clickable environment, because it allows you, as you said, to present something, but then follow some threads that, that people are interested in and, and do it on screen, do it through screen share. And, and it's really clicking with, with our stakeholders that it gets answers faster. Awesome. Totally agree. Now, wrapping up, wrapping up, what are some of the most interesting and exciting things that you're working on right now or you can you you are moving towards in the future like are you are you thinking about how you can get into more advanced analytics or how are you going to evolve your work within the whole power platform just I don't know, examples like that 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 i think would interest others you know, in terms of like what's possible and 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 where what is what, what is possible now and in the future yeah, I think advanced analytics is a big area for us. The, the dependency there is we feel like the use cases have to be so much tighter in terms of our understanding of them, the outputs and kind of the answers we're looking to get. And also the question remains, right, how can we be predictive and prescriptive if we haven't yet mastered kind of the descriptive and, and diagnostic 
analytics, but we are trying to be opportunistic about that. Finding business questions we either already know exist or just finding ones that we think would be able to, or that we think might add value if we get it right. But we're taking the tack that this is all about building our capability and understanding about what it means to deliver predictive analytics initiatives. So we've got a couple people on our team interested in it. We've given them resources to kind of explore and get trained up. And we're doing a lot of prototyping. So that's definitely on our radar because I've always wanted to move so much further away from that what happened to what's happening to what's going to happen. It's the natural progression. And knowing our stakeholders, they're going to start asking for those what if kinds of, of answers relatively quickly, largely driven you know, by clients asking us what if questions as well. So that's a, a really big piece. But one of the the main areas of focus for us right now, I mentioned trying to build out functional data stores. We find that people know what they want to measure, but they don't necessarily have the data to do that. So we're talking a lot about data capture strategies. I don't think I'm allowed to plug it just yet, but we've identified a software solution that's essentially a, a custom visual that allows for collecting data from stakeholders. So we have a million and one use cases for reports that show real-time data and capture inputs from users within the report and have them automatically update. So the big one, uh, not the big one, but one of the big areas is capacity planning. How do we know how busy our lawyers are going to be next week or the week after that? So we know the resources that are available for staffing new pieces of work. There's a variety of systems in play right now, everything from custom apps to phone trees that are going on. And with these kinds of kind of Power BI enhancements, we're hoping to again drive that ecosystem view that says, this is not only where you're gonna see insights, but it's where you're gonna help us drive better data capture and and develop a better understanding of what's going on. That's kind of aside from the, the user input piece and getting people to interact with our reports in that way, We're also looking at tools that can help derive business data from the processes we we undertake, from the documents we produce. It may come as a surprise, but we really struggle to get clear descriptions of the kind of work that we're doing on any individual matter, as we call it, which is kind of our, our unit of work. So people want to know about scheduling, how long a piece of work should take, or what the right pricing model is. And naturally, as analysts, we go, okay, what are the the features of that work? And we find that it only goes down to a very basic level of granularity. There's still a lot of general term that we use to describe our work. And and it's interesting because we used to get a lot of these BI tools come in, show us all the visualizations, be like, look what we can do to visualize your data and drive insights. And the whole time I'm thinking like, okay, but what are you going to do to help get better data to visualize that's meaningful. And so we're starting to see a lot of vendors come in with really good solutions, many utilizing AI to help derive insights about the the metadata of our work, if you will, so we can incorporate that into more advanced analysis. So aside from the overall transformation of everything to a more dynamic and agile environment in Power BI, we're looking at kind of the inputs piece as well is is super important to help us better develop data sets that will be more meaningful to the the business problems that we're starting to understand better. That's great. That gets me quite excited about, you know, where things are are, are going in this space, right? I mean, we've seen a huge just transformation 
globally around data and analytics possibilities in the last five years. I mean, it's just pretty darn exciting what could happen in the next like three to five years, you know, from here with everyone now yeah. becoming far more immersed, these tools becoming far more mature. You can just see the immense scale just creating bucket loads of value down the track, right? And then when we layer on advanced analytics, AI, machine learning, I mean, even those tools are being democratized now. Mm-hmm. And also, and also I, th- I think the data, the, the data capture is, is actually becoming easier as well, just with power apps. I mean, you can, you can embed a power app into your Power BI reports now. So they're making even that part of it super easy. And then all of the backend database infrastructure is with the new dataverse and all of the, and, and the way that you collect that information and automate processes off the back of it with power. And I mean, man, it's exciting. It is super, super yeah. exciting. I couldn't agree more. I, I, you know, I was at the firm for for ten years before this team started, and I feel like it's been a brand new job. And and I've been, you know, super excited about my role in the transformation going on over the last two years in a way that you know I, I really couldn't have imagined even just a, a couple of years ago. And as you said, the tools are there, and with a strong vision and a strong foundation at the enterprise level, at least in our experience, we can we can accelerate change. And, and make a big impact pretty pretty quickly. Okay, Andrew, fascinating conversation and uh, really appreciate your time today. Huge yeah, amount of, 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 of value in, that, in our discussion today. I mean, I got a lot out of just seeing in, in the real world how you're actually doing this, how you're actually making it happen from a strategy governance perspective and also just like deployment, you know? So yeah. Re- yeah, really appreciate all your thoughts and, and insights today. And yeah, really, really glad to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm I'm glad it was helpful and, and hopeful helpful hopefully helpful for uh for some of those listeners and and always great to talk about it. I uh, I feel a, a tremendous weight when I I do some of these things to get the details right and acknowledge kind of all the the people that have come together in our enterprise right to to make this happen. It's it's really interesting to see such a cohort, but it's also great to see people like I said be reinvigorated right be feeling creative about the tools that they have to solve problems again. So those thinking about business intelligence transformation, I, I wholly recommend it. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's great. Like, yeah, I mean, got, I'm behind you 100% on that. I mean, it's, it is, it is, it is transformational what, what, what is possible. And, and also it can really get your creative juices going in terms of, you know, l- wanting to learn more and wanting to put it into practice, like actually bring a lot of these initiatives to reality. So, and high value initiatives too. Yeah, for sure. Okay, cool. So let's wrap up. Appreciate it. Everyone who is tuning in, don't forget to subscribe to our channel, The Analytic Mind. You can, you can subscribe on all your favorite listening apps. And also you can check out this particular interview on our Analytic Minds YouTube channel as well. So Thanks for tuning in and forward to putting out a lot more, having a lot more great discussions, just like this one with Andrew and and making, making them available to everyone. So take care and all the best. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. It's great to be connected, and I hope you are enjoying the content. 
we're creating through the Analytic Mind podcast. If you enjoyed this session, make sure to subscribe to the podcast to get notified of each episode as we release them. If you want to learn more about Enterprise DNA and the many initiatives we're working on, check out www.enterprisedna.co. There we have a range of resources to download, events to attend, and information to explore. We're leading the charge around this new paradigm we're living in, where tools like Power BI can literally change how an organization manages, analyzes, and distributes insights that can make an impact. It's an exciting moment in the analytics space. So glad that you're on this journey with us. Take care.